0: Welcome to episode 292 of Retro Encounter. I'm Eva Fidia, and I'm joined today by my friend Pete. Pete, what's going
1: on? Oh, how's it going, my fellow fallen knight, Eva?
0: <laughs> oh, it's going. It's really going. So we are we are gathered here today um, to discuss a very interesting RPG. What are we covering, Pete?
1: Oh, this is uh, finally the hotly anticipated episode that the masses have been clamoring for about knights in the nightmare.
0: We've been trying to do this episode. We've been trying to do this episode for a while, and uh, and I'm really glad that we could get around to it because this is a um, as we'll go into this is a uh, this is an interesting game. This is really um, this is really something. Um, it's not something you see every day in terms of mechanics or in terms of narrative. Um, and I'm excited to uh, get into it. So, I suppose we should start off with what exactly is Knights in the Nightmare? Because this is not your your most uh, popular, you know, Final Fantasy title or something that we cover on Retro Encounter. So, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: uh, Knights in the Nightmare. It, it's a it's a it's a Sting game made by the the uh, developer Sting, um, published by Atlas. Um, so, you know, you, uh, I think those of us who are familiar with, in this space, kind of know what to expect from Atlas a little bit and nice of the nightmare doesn't really follow what you might expect. <laughs> Atlas does tend to, uh, publish some pretty, maybe experimental or, or uh, games that are a little bit out of the ordinary, but this one is really interesting. Um, and it's a sting RPG. And Sting is a pretty cool company. They really, for a while, made these really almost like boutique uh, RPGs, um, usually for handheld systems, that I've, I've played two of. I played Yigdra Union for the Game Boy Advance, and that is like a Fire Emblem, but it has a lot of weird mechanics that end up making a lot of sense and is really smart is really really good. It's one of my favorite like turn-based tactics mm-hmm. RPGs um especially on the GBA. Uh and this um it, these are technically part of the same narrative universe, but they don't really have too terrible too terribly much to do with each other. Um anyway, uh yeah, so Nights nice in the Nightmare. Uh Eva, why don't you try your hand at describing <laughs> kind of what it is or...
0: Uh well, I I tried to do like an a sort of elevator pitch for it, like if someone went up to me and said, "What is Nights in the Nightmare?" and what I could think of was nonlinear SRPG bullet hell. Um that was kind of that's kind of the best way to describe it, I think. And um and I think with Atlas's Atlas's publishing at this time was kind of strange because I think in um, like within a few months of this, they also were publishing um, Demon Souls for From Software. So because at least in the in uh, North America, and so they were kind of dipping into uh, maybe not uncharted territory, but not their usual you know developed in-house sort of work. Um, so it might sound strange to say non-linear srpg bullet hell
1: but uh that's because it is strange very very strange (laughs) um so the thing about describing how this game plays or the experiential part of the game it's hard to talk about it apart from the plot or um or the themes even um it's it's nonlinear in the sense that the plot is told uh, in a nonlinear fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, you will experience the story like you'll get a snippet from the past and from the present and from the future, or not really, well, not the future, but like further back in the past or whatever. That's kind of how you'll experience the story. When you play it, there's no overworld, there's no real walking around and speaking to, to NPCs, or there's no random encounters. It is just story vignettes followed by an action mission, basically.
0: Yeah, it's interesting with these vignettes because there are so many characters in this game. And they kind of, um, each one of these uh, scenes that they have, because the game plays out in these scenes, focuses on these specific characters that you're kind of adding to your forces, and, um, there isn't a whole lot, at least as far as I've seen so far, there isn't really a whole lot of character development necessarily. Um, but as you go through the game more, I kind of understand why isn't there character development? And it kind of makes a, um, a, at first I was a little, uh, put off by it because I, you know, maybe I liked a character aesthetically like, uh, Erica or Michelle and I wanted more from them. But, as I've come to understand the game and we'll probably get more into next episode, it makes sense why they're not really um they're not progressing much in terms of their own internal processes
1: so one thing that this game does that I've always noted is pretty interesting, and we'll get into the the background of it and the foundation of kind of the plot in a second is because you most of the characters you don't have too much time with. Um, I find this game to be really great at packing, doing the best they can at packing a lot of history and motivation and character into a very, let's say small amount of text. Um, and yeah, you don't get a full character arc, uh, and we'll get into why in a second, but, um, for example, there are characters that are basically just NPCs on the mission field as you play, and through a mechanic in the game, you, you get a chance to talk to them, which almost serves as like the talking to NPCs part of the game. Although they don't give you any direction or anything, they do give you a little item. Um, but it's always it's, it's it's literally think of think of an RPG text box. And how many characters go in there? It's two lines of that that each of these characters get, and it's always crushingly tragic. <laughs> and I find that I find that to be really powerful because by design you don't get to know these characters too much. And so the game takes place in this nation, the capital of which is Aventheim Castle, and you are a little spirit wisp thing. That is who you embody in the game. And you're basically manifested as a little ball of light. And um, all the characters you come in contact with, everyone that can be in your party, anyone you can recruit, they're already dead. Because there is a massive apocalyptic occurrence that happened um, in which the underworld uh, busted through and just in a really short amount of time, and as you go throughout the game, you hear these characters talk during the story vignettes, and what's evident is how little they know about the situation, how surprised, how taken by surprise everyone is. Um, basically, the power structure in the nation is completely crushed, it's, it's chaos, and a lot of people are dead very, very quickly. Um, how did you, th- th- you... Were you able to kind of grok that from that from the part that you played?
0: Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was, um, as of this recording, it was very recently that, um, that I realized what was going on, that these characters were all dead because I think what made me, um, realize it was that there's this mechanic in the game where you can basically release, uh, a character's soul to get an item or to give power to another one of the, uh, forces that you have another one of the characters and I was and I was wondering how exactly that worked. And then I was thinking about these flashbacks that they had um, and the NPCs that would show up, and I realized, oh, they're dead. <laughs> and yep. the, this is the, the spirit of their... Uh, this is kind of a manifestation of their willpower and the times before they passed that we're seeing play out. And because of that, it's a little difficult to follow at first... Um, But as it goes on more and more, it becomes more engrossing. And this story is very plot-driven rather than being character-based. And once you get that rhythm for it, that it's trying to tell the story in a very unique way, um, I think you can really start to vibe with um, what it's doing and how exactly the mechanics are tying into that and helping to tell that story.
1: Yeah, so it might be a good place to talk about that at this point. Um, the, w- the, the mechanics really don't make sense until you realize w- the decisions they made, in my opinion, truly are tied to the themes that they're going for. And the result is one of the most creative games, mechanics-wise, that I've ever played. And it seems downright silly, but it's so much fun but it's also it also beautifully um, it kind of puts you in this world in, in this situation. So when you start a, a battle, it'll show you a preview of the map. It's it calls itself turn based in quotes, but you don't play it in a turn based fashion. There are turns which are basically rounds, and you have to complete the mission within a certain number of rounds. And when you start off, usually there are already characters on the map, um, knight characters, soldier characters that you can use. And for that mission, they're there as guests. And the mechanic we were referring to, to release someone's soul or to give them some kind of peace or, or closure or whatever, is you pick up items as you play the game by breaking obstacles on the field. And then, if they relate to that character, you can give it to them. And if it's an NPC, a non combatant type character, then they'll give you a weapon and they'll give you their little bit of story that I mentioned. If they're a knight, someone you can recruit, then that's how you recruit them. And they also have a little bit of text. It's the same, they do the same thing, but then you can also take them into the following missions. And on the DS, so this is awesome because Eva, you played the PSP version. Yes, and, and I'm playing the DS version, which I've played before. And on the DS, you uh, you use the stylus on the bottom screen, but you're looking at the top screen. Top screen is where the action is, but the the bottom screen is like the input. And as you move the stylus around, you're moving the wisp around. And uh, as enemies on the field attack, they shoot out, basically bullet hell patterns. They don't attack you directly. There's no HP for you to lose. Even the knights that you can recruit, except for there is a stat called vitality on those knights. And if you use them, their vitality will creep down ever so slightly. There are only a very few number of enemies, including like a boss character that can directly attack a knight and take down their vitality in the process. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they basically also don't ever get hit. But when an enemy attacks, they shoot out a bullet hell pattern and you as the wisp have to dodge it. If you get hit, you lose time. So each turn, which is like a round, like we said, uh, they give you about 60 seconds. But if you're not doing anything, even if you're moving around, if you're not doing anything short of interacting with a character or attacking or getting hit, you won't lose time what makes you lose time is attacking someone or getting hit by one of these bullets. Okay. And so when that time is up, the round is over and you have a certain number of rounds to complete the mission. And each night on the battlefield, it's not like final fantasy tactics where you can select them and move them to a a spot. Most of the time with only a couple exceptions, they stay exactly where they're at, where they are. And, When you hover over them as the wisp, they basically materialize in the physical world, so to speak. And you charge up an attack, and they have an attack pattern that goes out on the battlefield in a set pattern. And every class of character has a different pattern. And so basically you want to catch the enemies in that attack range and release it to unleash your attack. That's the long and short of it.
0: Absolutely and I um, and I love the fact that um, the wisp essentially is materializing all of this because the enemies um, your characters they're just shown as these sort of vague outlines until you hover the wisp over them um, and so it really is kind of like you're using the wisp to um, to create or recreate this um, this situation this battle scenario um, and there's so many um, little hiccups to it in terms of how a character is facing the number of times where I've accidentally had a duelist just get stuck (laughs) as it's taken me some time to understand, okay, the duelist gets stuck. So if I get the duelist stuck, then I need to have the, um, the, you know, the mounted knight on the horse to, um, move them because I, it's either the duelist or the mounted knight who can do this... Um, who, can yeah, exactly. who can actually move. Exactly, right.
1: Yeah, and th- so there's, like, also there's, like, a warrior who's, like, an axe carrying one. And this is important because the different weapons um, you select as items and you're supposed to actually drag them over to the knight that you want to attack. That's the only way you can do any real damage. If you just unleash an attack without a, a, a weapon, basically they'll do no damage. But... You can gather gems, which add to a meter, which allows you to use <laughs> the weapons. You can see how this gets batshit real quick. But the um, so, like the knights, uh, the, sorry, the warriors, and uh, like the duelists, they face either up or right or, or left. I don't remember. And then the archers, the priests, and the assassins and the wizards. They you want them enough. An- in the northernmost part of the map because they face down. And you can't cause a character to face any way they wouldn't face. And it it sounds limiting. It sounds kind of dumb. But it's cool because it it gives you an opportunity to use all of these, um, these different classes. And between each round, you place them on the map. So the placement becomes critically important. And the positioning aspect of it, I really like. It really comes into its own as a cool mechanic that's valid in its own right and not just like, you know, silly for silliness's sake. It's, it's pretty, that's it's pretty cool. I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, it makes, it makes sense. And, um, it allows you to between each of these rounds really kind of, notice what exactly you have to do to be able to accomplish your objective. And for, and for each round, your objective may be kind of different. I've noticed that in the earlier rounds, I'm like, okay, this is the, um, you know, the first two rounds, usually there's what I've seen is like six to nine rounds or something. Usually in the first couple of rounds, um, what I'll do is I'll have some objects that I've received from earlier levels. Um, and the objects will say, Oh, Michelle might like this or Erica might like this and you set that and then you're not really focused on defeating the enemies. You're focused on getting those items to those characters and then breaking open other chests so you can get more items to recruit characters later on. And then once it gets into, uh, the later rounds of it, that's when you're going to want to be defeating enemies. Because between each round, there's this, uh, roulette that goes. And, and you can choose which, um, you can choose which enemies you want to fight, um, during that. I almost always choose, if I can, choose the spiders because I love the spiders in this game and how they look. Um, They're so cool. Um,
1: I I like the, the big tree, like, ent creature ladies. They'll, they, they will appear there. They obviously don't move. And the, I don't think we mentioned this or maybe we did, but elemental affinity is really important. So each enemy and each weapon has an element assigned to it. And you want to get those matchups to get like double damage and all that. Um, the trees will stay rooted and there'll be a certain element and they'll be doing their attacks. They're still shooting bullets at you, but then they'll disappear and then pop up in another part of the map as a different element. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's pretty cool. Yeah. There's there's some, there's some enemies you can jam. Like if they're about to attack or if you hit them during a certain circumstance, a little like square with a number will pop up. And on the DS, on the PSP too, but probably with, with the, with analog stick, you have to take the wisp and whip it around and like, each rotation of the square will count down the number. And if you successfully count it all the way down to zero, they'll jam and be stunned for like a turn. It's, it's, oh, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah,
0: I hadn't figured that out. I, I've seen that before, but I didn't know what to do with it. Okay. Some,
1: some of the, that same mechanic appears sometimes to change an enemy's element if you want. So sometimes it's a countdown to stun them, and sometimes you can change their element by switching it around, and you can basically, in a very short amount of time, try to select an element that might be more advantageous to you.
0: That's... that's yeah, I it's didn't know crazy. that. That's, that's pretty wild. And um, this,
1: roulette, this roulette that you mentioned, each enemy that you kill corresponds to a battle grid, <laughs> which basically is like playing tic-tac-toe, So you want to connect a row, a column, or a diagonal line of enemies on that battle grid in order to beat the level. That's how you do it. That's how you finish the mission. Mm -hmm. It's not just defeating all the enemies. You have to line them up. And maybe if you want to gain a little bit of extra extra XP, maybe you don't want to complete a line and go an extra round or something. I don't know. But it's—and there's, like, Law and Chaos, two different states that change the attack patterns. It's so— absolutely wild and it took me the first time i played it like three months of playing off and on before i like got into the rhythm and i didn't have the obligation of a podcast to play i was just playing it for my own curiosity but once you get it it all coalesces and it's a really satisfying thing to learn such a crazy thing
0: yeah and with and with all of the mechanics in this game and everything that's going on here um there are there's some interesting decisions that are made on an aesthetic level in terms of the positives. I think this game, um, in terms of the environment design, especially, um, playing it, um, especially playing it on the PSP. Um, it's, uh, it's, it looks gorgeous. The, the backgrounds look, the backgrounds look fantastic. The sprite art, the way the characters animate as well. I think it's really nice. Um, it's, Got some great coloration as well i I really like the way it looks um...
1: yeah it's it's really like dark in that it's always nighttime but it's always it's yeah. it's not a it's actually a really colorful game graphically there's a lot okay. of deep purples and blues and it's a really cool palette that they have and um yeah it's kind of a sting thing around this era especially where the this was also the era of like well the era It was in an era one of many of anime with enormous swords and <laughs> crazy wild armor. But when you look at the swords and the armor in this game the the amount of intricacy and like opulence to all the design is really cool and it even comes across a little bit in the in the sprites but definitely in the character portraits um and yeah it's such a nice looking game it's i think it helps bring the tragedy home (laughs) kind of like the beauty of this place you can see flashbacks of you know different rooms or structures intact and then when you get there to have a battle there it's all torn apart like and the library, there's books thrown everywhere. It's it's an awesome thing. All the monsters are really cool, like mm-hmm. we said before. So,
0: yeah, and a lot of little subtle animation tricks that are uh, designed to show emotion and you know, and trying to communicate how the characters are feeling. Um, yeah, it's it's a great it's a great looking game, and the music is. The music is quite good as well. It's um, it definitely has that. It definitely has that classic, um, you know, tactics RPG sort of feel to it. Uh, and but it does, but it does things on its own terms as well. Um, I think Nights in the Nightmare has its own, um, has its own soundscape that um, really works for it.
1: Have you noticed the kind of mysterious? As of yet, unnamed narrator.
0: Yes, I mean, I have, I have noticed that I haven't really questioned uh, who this narrator is yet.
1: Though, yeah, yeah, the narrator kind of addresses you as the wisp. Like, what motivates you? What's driving you? Like, you don't yeah. remember anything. Why are you going? Why are you? You just killed all those monsters. Do you even know why? It's pretty cool. And that same voice, I think is what is the text that that comes up comes up um, when you're about to start a mission. And that song, I think is beautiful. It's like this bell number that's just very mournful and really nice and this this uh, vague, mysterious text is going across it while in the background fading in and out are the different crests of all the orders of the Knights of the kingdom. Um and so yeah, like that song in particular, I find really powerful. It happens between every mission and never gets old because it's a very short number. Um, there's some really good sad songs. The battle music's pretty good, and yeah, I, I like I like the soundtrack quite a bit. So yeah, so I think the
0: music, I think the music and the art are they really have this nice uh, harmony to them that really present this game extremely well.
1: It is necessary because it's so weird to play. Yeah, and for forever. What carried me to a point to where I liked playing this game a lot was the music and the art, mm-hmm. and the the writing was cool too because it's a different kind of story. It's really it's weird to have a apocalypse story that's during an apocalypse, or it's a little bit more unusual in a fantasy setting. It's really neat though.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of uh, it makes a lot of bold decisions, uh, and. For the most part, those really work for me. The uh, the one thing that I've <laughs> that I've brought up with you is uh, the 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 interface and the and the font choices. I'm like there. There's a whole lot of fonts going on in this game, and it's I understand two
1: thousands game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, one. absolutely.
0: And sting games. I've looked at them. I was looking at other sting games. Like, do they all kind of have this sort of uh, font hell to them and yeah, kind of. <laughs> kind of, yeah.
1: Kinda do. Um, the,
0: the interface itself does, in terms of functionality, does a really good job of presenting the information. There's a lot of it on there, but all of it feels pretty necessary for what you're doing. Um, just in terms of readability with the these choices, though, I do question if they needed like 10 different fonts for the battle screen, there's really no uniformity to that where a lot of other things in the game feel, feel uh so holistic and so much of this entire piece that can uh, fit in so well together that the, the mass jumble of fonts feels a little at odds with that uh, idea.
1: It is weird. It is, is strange. Um, because it does have to convey so much information, and I, maybe they were trying to compartmentalize parts of the screen, but I don't think it worked. Really, it's something that you got to just that you, you get used to if you decide to like follow through and, and play. Decide you're going to play this game, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I I looked at a couple of screens for uh, Gounier, which I think which is the the Department Heaven game after this one. Yeah. And, uh, that one's worse. So I'm
1: like... no way. I actually haven't really looked at that one too much. Oh, I've, that... I've been meaning to play it, but I,
0: on a, on every level but that, I would love to play Gunier, but the, the on the, the interface is just, it looks worse. Um, but other than that, it, it also looks like a, a fine game as well. Um, one thing that's interesting about this story is that this is um this Department Heaven series. This is apparently episode four of it. Um so um I believe Riviera was the first one, and then um Yggdry Union I think is the second. Um I
1: think that's right, yeah.
0: This is the fourth, and then Gunir is the fifth. There is no episode three as of now, I saw a I saw something um, online that said it was originally planned to be uh, some sort of PC MMORPG um, that was abandoned. Uh, oh my word! Yeah, and and I can kind of imagine this was being if this is the timeline they're following. They're probably developing that game around 2007 and 2008. And I think big financial decisions for a, uh, a small boutique, <laughs> uh, developer around that time may have been, um, rough. May have been, yeah, yeah, that might have been a, hey, you know, we should probably go back to making a handheld game instead of doing a PC MMORPG, uh, you know, while Lehman Brothers is going under or something. <laughs>
1: Yeah, especially because Riviera and Yigri Union really blew the doors off of the world.
0: Oh yeah, just like they were—they were massive.
1: Just annoy- like if you are within the sound of our voices, you have played those games. I, <laughs> I just know it. I just know it. Yeah, it's. And that, uh, they should do like a manga or something for episode three. Just whatever. Just
0: Do yeah. it. Yeah, just to kind of tie it. Just to kind of tie it all together. I mean, you know if. If budget is is a concern, yeah, you can just do, you can do a manga, you can do a a novel, a la Final Fantasy fifteen or something, right? Um,
1: yeah. A <laughs> full length feature film. Yeah, of course. Just, oh, you want to take put butts in the seats? You make a Department Heaven episode three film.
0: Department Heaven: The Spirits
1: Within. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they're clamoring for over there.
0: <laughs> there is definitely a. There's definitely a. A niche of people, and perhaps people who are listening to this episode right now, who would definitely be down for that. Though, um, I think these games uh, definitely have a following, and I can see why they're um, they're making decisions that other RPGs uh, wouldn't really. And they're not um, they're not perfectly successful, but playing through um, Nights in the Nightmare, I'd say that this um, a lot of it is quite successful, and it more than justifies its existence, which...
1: You know. It does. I think we we could probably maybe get a little into the plot at this point. We only briefly oh, mentioned a couple things. but And I kind of anticipated this, because the feeling this game gives you and the action of playing it is worth some discussion, even if the discussion is not... Uh, is not adequate to actually convey what it's like, but but I really think I really think that it, it was worth all that talk. But, um, perhaps a little talk of the plot would even further help understand why the game plays like it does. So, really, so the game opens with an armored maiden. Uh, I think it's right from the beginning, it's clear that she is stealing the king's soul. She's spiriting it away uh, from its sepulchre. I don't know. Um, And the guards seem to not know who she is, and they chase her out of the castle. And so that's kind of where the game starts. You're like in the middle of nowhere. Uh, She says, I got to go, basically, and leaves you by yourself for a while. And you basically make your way back to the castle, which is kind of funny, but... She did. I don't think she intended to take you so far. I think she was just chased out. Um, and there's something. It's clear that something is driving you toward the castle. And uh, pretty soon, you learn that you are the king of this nation, and so you're the dead king. And uh, it's all very mysterious. Um, early on, you meet Cardinal Cape Horn, who's like kind of a papal figure. Who you know? Since it's a JRPG, he's super bad, and it's very obvious from the beginning. He's manipulative. He is power hungry. He has made the deal with the underworld that has caused all of this, um, and, uh, and yeah, and so uh, basically, you, you go back and forth between like uh, in the between what happened in the past. And what's happening currently early on, it's mostly what happened in the past that you're seeing. And little by little, it's almost as if the King is kind of regaining a little bit of his memory. Um, but it's told in this jumbled up fashion that doesn't make it, it doesn't make its chronology clear. And it's kind of hard to follow until later on, but it does the job of kind of sinking its hook into you, you know, and kind of making you want to see what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, it definitely, it definitely draws you in. It, it first Kind of, it confuses you at first and keeps you a bit off kilter and wondering what exactly is going on. And it does it does eventually draw you in and really places you into this world. And uh, in terms of yeah, with JRPGs, there being uh, if there's a sort of papal figure, they're probably going to be bad. It kind of makes me think, you know what? It would be interesting if the Vatican made a JRPG just for freshness. For
1: freshness. Let's get a VRPG out there. Yeah, a VRPG. Let's do it. Oh, it could be interesting. Let's get their perspective. Mm. It it is so obvious, too. This guy walks around. His little sprite is just flowing robes, a huge, like, not crucifix, but crucifix. Like, 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 uh, resting on his shoulder and like the biggest tome of all time in his other hand. And that's just how he casually hangs out at his house. You know what I mean? Like he's in his, his inner sanctum chilling out and he's just walking around with this big book. Like, is he reading it? I don't know. Uh, have you met where you are? Have you met, uh, have you met the, so you, you, you fought the werewolf. Yes. Right. Yeah did you discovered who that is
0: um i i i don't think i've fully gotten who it is yet no
1: okay so the the cardinal you know obviously was like an officer of yours he was like and he was a, uh, a head of kind of if not like the religious branch of your government he's someone who interacted with you a lot uh the king a lot and that werewolf who you fight really early on so you know you you're fighting through monsters in the forest eventually you come across this werewolf and you kill the werewolf and soon after you discover that that was the prince your son who was betrothed to marry Peach. have you met Peach? yes i believe so yeah so he was gonna marry her that's cape horn's daughter so very early on you have to kill your own son who's been turned into a werewolf tragically by the forces of the underworld and it's pretty cool uh, as i don't know if it's around that time or a little bit later on you discover that uh there's something going on with your son or there was around the time of the tragedy that he was suffering from some kind of like depression because he had some duty he was supposed to attend to and expressed that he couldn't do it. And to the game's credit, they kind of treat that well, I think. Like, you can't do it, you can't do it. We're not going to, like, force this thing. And so you go instead, and it's clear that that's what Cardinal Cape Horn wanted. Mm-hmm. You, he wanted you to go to this to fulfill this duty, I think to inspect soldiers in some outpost or something. And, uh, there's a lot of back and forth of like, Oh, this is the Prince's first real, like Royal kind of mission. This is a great opportunity for him. And then the Cardinal's like, yeah, but he's not feeling up to it. You just go like, let it, you know, he'll have time to blah, blah, blah. You go. And the Cardinal is just a manipulative guy. It's, 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 obvious from the very beginning. Um, but yeah,
0: yeah, even I think the first scene that we see with the cardinal is him with uh uh with the princess and he's and he's like it's he's uh he comes across rather warmly and he's saying oh it's it's so good to see you. I've, I haven't seen you in so long and Um, if you were to, if, if you had never played a JRPG before or something, you'd probably see that and be like, nice old man. Um, immediately, you know, immediately that gets thrown out, but she leaves and
1: he takes a meeting with like Yelma or someone to plan something nefarious. Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And he's work. you know, he's working with, um, kind of these cutthroats and, yeah, and everything who
1: have very cool designs. I I like the looks of those. Characters. Leonel is cool. Yeah, Aquila is cool too. She's mm-hmm. like a crossbow user, and Leonel has like it's it's hard to describe. It's like a big sword, but it also loops around like the front of him as like almost a scythe or something. Or yeah. I don't know. It's wild. Um, yeah. So the cardinal's working with them, and uh, and Yelma, who's a witch, who's just like. She's the Kefka, basically, like the Kefka stand-in, like no redeeming qualities, no not fooling anyone, you know. Pretty much not long after you kill the werewolf, you meet up again with the Armored Maiden. Um, you discover that her name is Maria, and you don't know anything about her. But for some reason, she's helping you, and she's really intent on helping you. But at the same time, she's looking for uh, a staff called Ancardia, and she doesn't really want to involve you in it. It's just like another thread, and that's, something, that's kind of something she's really there for, but for some reason, she's also really intent on helping you. And right after that, you meet Melissa. Melissa is a super awesome-looking fallen angel type person who as it turns out is also looking for the staff and cardia and there are a few boss fights with melissa that are pretty neat but um in the next episode we'll talk more about why she's so important um at this point we haven't truly discovered why but she seems she like almost never talks she's really she's very obedient to um Cape Horn and the witch, who is very, who it is made clear early on, are working with the underworld. And there's another power figure from the underworld that's manipulating everything from Cape Horn on down. And then there, uh, as you continue, you make it back to the castle. You meet up with Maria. You're both kind of trudging along. You split up here and there because she's like going to go here to look for Ancardia while you continue um the narrator asks like are you looking for your corpse like do you want to reunite with your remains is that what's going on um and there around that time it shows flashbacks of cape horn manipulating grand marshal gunther who's almost like your top general of the military um who's all broken up about your death he gets yelma to create a replica of the king's armor and that's also cursed. And he says, if you wear this, the people will look to you as an interim leader. It will really help calm their anxieties. Mm -hmm. And Gunther in his weakness and in his emotional state of missing the king, who he was very close to, goes with it and becomes corrupted immediately. And he's also a boss fight. (laughs) That's very sad, a very sad boss fight. And, at this point as well, I'm just, I'm blitzing through it because I know um, we're going to, this is all going to kind of come to a head in the next episode and there's a lot in the next episode. Uh, at, as the Wisp advances deeper into the castle, the underworld leader who is in charge of Cape Horn or who made a deal with Cape Horn and therefore basically has Cape Horn in his back pocket says, hey, why haven't you told me about this? And K-Porn is like, I didn't think it would concern you. I didn't want to bother you with petty things. And he says, you realize this is, this is the one thing that has power over me potentially. If it gets to its potential, it will be able to destroy me. And you didn't tell me about it. And as punishment, he takes Pish and transforms her into like an unsentient winged bird human monster monstrosity thing as punishment to Cape Horn. And that's a really good moment because it's clear from that moment that Cape Horn is sincere about his daughter. He never intended to get her involved or manipulate her and it ruins him even more. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where we're at, at this point where we are around chapter 23, I didn't do this in either of my playthroughs, but you can recover Ancardia for Maria and that, that can open up a way to eventually get a different ending. There are several different endings to this game. Um. But the ending I got last time and the one I'm on the path to get right now in my opinion is the best canonical one because it's uh, just so just so you know if you want to go for that or like look it up when you get to that point that might be something you want to see mm-hmm. um, but it's up to you you don't have to like you don't have to do that um, uh, but yeah anyway plot wise that's kind of where we're at at this point um, you're in the castle everyone's getting kind of freaked out and now there's chaos on both sides. There's chaos on the underworld side not understanding the situation that they thought they had under control and obviously on the uh regular world side everyone's dead. <laughs> pretty much so. And their souls are being kind of recruited to your cause.
0: And that's and that's how it goes. You plays the you plays the wisp, you materialize some souls, you fight some Monsters that may have been in the past, and <laughs> and you uh, and you take on and you take on the papacy. That's and that's and isn't that just all what we're trying to do?
1: It's just life, from how I see it.
0: It's just it's just life. This is
1: just, just the game about life, and yeah. Um, so I mean, the 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 thing about this plot is. There is no comic relief. there's no relief. like my memory and and the, the the what I'm corroborating right now in this playthrough is that it's just an onslaught of darkness and tragedy and it's over and over because even though the battle's basically over, you're gaining these memories of what happened to these people. <laughs> and so it's like an inescapable like tragedy and I give the game a lot of credit for that. It could, they could have very easily made given Maria like a monkey pet or something, you know? Yeah. Uh, but the game is very clear in his theming and messaging. Like sometimes there's nothing to laugh at. <laughs> there's nothing to sometimes, you know, you know, it's hard to find a break when, you know, when, when things just suck.
0: Yeah, it is kind of a singularly oppressive uh, atmosphere that I don't usually, there usually is something in a, in a JRPG that does kind of offer some levity, whether that's a, uh, you know, an animal sidekick or that's the, the, the cocky best friend who is, who is hitting on all the women in the game and just getting totally shot down or something? There's really none of that in this game, and I, I really appreciate that as well. That they committed to, their, um, they committed to what they are trying to tell in the story, and they're not letting, uh, kind of diversions from that, uh, lessen the impact of it.
1: It doesn't hurt for variety either because there are so many characters. There's so many threads, like this thing with Ancardia and some other threads that will crop up later. Um, There's Frabella and Vishna, who are characters you can recruit, but who actually actually appear kind of throughout the telling of the story. They kind of move from location to location, so you see them over and over again. Um, There's a, a kind of how how you get to know Maria um, and and the little bit of development with Cape Horn, that kind of peaks at this point. He doesn't really go too much further in his character development. Um, and I, I, it's, it's like plot-wise, even though the, the tone is consistent, it still somehow avoids getting old, I think.
0: Yeah, there definitely is there definitely is enough uh, thematic and narrative variety, and just with the number of characters as well, um, that it doesn't it it doesn't feel like a slog, and because of how fun it is to play, um, it kind of continues. It allows you to continue with that story and engage with it further.
1: It's kind of fast paced because each mission takes, uh, you know, like some of them you can finish in five minutes. Some yeah. might take like a little more. And then the story vignettes are about the same amount of time, maybe five to ten minutes of, well, ten minutes would be really long, probably not that long, but, uh, you know, of story mm-hmm. and of flashing back. And um, those kind of three modes of storytelling it has of, like, past, present, and, like, an overarching narrator also break it up in a way that makes it feel quicker. Uh, perfect for a handheld game that's trying to tell a an ambitious story
0: absolutely I think ambition is one thing that this game has in spades and I and I can't wait to see more of what exactly this game has in store and how these mechanics mutate how this narrative uh continues and where exactly it goes from here
1: oh it's, it's gonna go some places from here <laughs> we should do predictions we should do predictions uh, you don't have to say where you are or anything, but what do you do? You do you foresee anything? Are you do you have any kind of foundation to stand on mm-hmm. to be able to be like, hmm, I think such and such might happen with so and so. I'd be interested to hear what you. I'd put I put you on the spot.
0: Yeah, no, no, it's fine. Um, I'm interested to see where exactly, um, Maria falls in terms of being, um, a you know. Uh, a protagonist or an antagonist, because she's kind of been set up as this—I guess—a bit of a chaos actor in this. We—it seems that she is a, some sort of protagonist in some way. You know, she's on the, the box for some of the the art for when this game is released around the world.
1: Um, she's also playable. She's very, um, very importantly, she when she's in your party, you can't take her off the board. But you can, through one of her attacks, move her anywhere, and she can use any of the weapons. They're trying to say, like, this person's not dead. <laughs> I think mm. and
0: they have the full range of their capabilities. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Um. Yeah. So I guess that. So I guess that. I guess it wasn't really much of a prediction, more of just a question, but. I predict that uh, Maria will will face some sort of trial that may turn her into something of an antagonist in the story. Um, and I think she will overcome that, but I think it'll get hairy for a little bit.
1: Your prediction. I like that one. Great prediction. Well, thank you. <laughs>
0: Well, I think that is going to. I think that's going to wrap us for uh, episode one of um, our dive into the nightmare that is nights in the nightmare. Though it's you know not really a nightmare to play; it's quite enjoyable. So, uh, Pete, thanks for joining me on this episode, and I can't wait to do the next one.
1: Thank you for doing it. I gotta say, I've kind of been quietly rumbling about wanting to do this one for a while. <laughs> And you've been the champion to, like, get it over the hump. And I really appreciate that because this is, like, I mean, I, I try not to be annoying about, like, you know, we could do nights in the Nightmare. But it's, it's very understandably not one that many people are that interested in or, or want to, you know, get into. Uh, or, you know... Even the question of like whether or not the audience is like really wanting to hear it, which I totally, which hopefully folks who don't know about it will hear it. That's my hope. Um, but yeah, so I I, uh, I appreciate you helping me along on that one, fighting on my side.
0: <laughs> of course, and and I think it's I think it's paying off because of what exactly this game is doing, as we've just spent you know the past hour talking about. Um, So, listeners, thank you for joining us on this journey through the first part of Nights in the Nightmare. We'll be back for uh, part two to talk more about uh, Maria and the Wisp and all these dead knights we're playing as. Um, But if you've uh, enjoyed this, uh, we would love it if you would like or rate us on the podcatcher of your choice. Um, We are an RPG fan podcast, and we have three other fine podcasts. We have uh, Random Encounter, which is about random things. We have Rhythm Encounter, which is about music things. And Phoenix Edge, our partner podcast uh, that usually talks about current events. So if you would like to catch any of those other fun podcasts, you can find them on the podcatcher of your choice, or you can see it on our website. So um, next month, after we're done with Nights and Nightmare, we're gonna be having some very fine episodes. We have, uh, Nier coming up, some more discussion on Nier, uh, the, uh, visual novel Haku- Hakuoki, the Hakuoki Edo Blossoms and such, um, the Otome visual novel. And then we have a, an episode that, uh, we'll keep a little bit under wraps for right now, but, It'll be a fun one. I'm very much looking forward to it. So, and I hope y'all will be too. And before we head out, Pete, how can we find you on social media or any other contacts?
1: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Pete One. Uh, you can find me on Twitch at RG Halfpenny. Right now, um they released a big update and DLC for Mech Warrior 5 Mercenaries so i'm doing that but sometimes i play like Genshin Impact on that and i'm then thinking about doing some more RPG stuff but it's mech warrior like i don't know what else to tell you but that's <laughs> that's uh rg halfpenny on twitch if you like robots and um, yeah people are one uh, on twitter
0: Absolutely, and to and to also speak of Genshin Impact, you just wrote a uh, an essay on Genshin Impact uh, just recently that was very interesting about kind of the uh, the politics uh, within that game. So I would very much encourage people to check that out as well.
1: Not so much the politics outside of that game. There's plenty written about that. You can find that stuff. <laughs> but to, I think to the game's credit, the game is saying a little something. Um, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. Thanks for thanks for reminding me that I did that. Yeah, I <laughs> they there on on RPG fans
0: Yes, of course. And yeah, the Genshin Impact is a uh, a complicated entity, but I think you really kind of pulled some things out of it that um, listeners would be very interested in. Uh, I
1: also play it every day since launch, and Uh, <laughs> oh, you and some
0: you and some of my students, you to know, talk with them about it. <laughs>
1: It's so good. It should not be this good. Why is it so good? Ugh.
0: And, and listeners, if you would, uh, like to find me on social media, probably not talking about Genshin Impact, uh, you can find me on Twitter, um, under RPG Fans, uh, usual social medias at RPG FanCom on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And you can find me personally as at EvaLease, uh, EVA, underscore L E E S on Instagram or Twitter. So with that, everyone, thank you so much for listening and we're looking forward to be back in, to be back next week with you. It is a bit late. Have a wonderful night and good night.
1: Good night.